the text is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, as the apostle again says to another, the spirit of God grants faith. And yet to another still, the spirit of God grants the gifts, plural, <clears throat> of healing by the same spirit. And what we did last time on Friday as we dealt with the idea of the gifts that needs to be in plural of healing, we began to look at the historical backdrop to the idea of God being a healer. And what I wanted to do was lay a fundamental foundation down to the idea that healing is intrinsic to the relationship between us and God on a number of levels. And we'll talk about some of that more fully today. When you hear the idea of healing, the, the, thing, the first thing that you want to be able to overcome is what we call in uh, theology, monoconceptualizing. Monoconceptualizing is making a, an assumption that healing is always just physical healing. Physical healing, you don't wanna fall prey to that notion. So as we think about healing and we think about the God that heals, that is um, <clears throat> what God himself said in Exodus chapter 15, around verse 27, I am the God that healeth thee. I am the God that heals thee. Jehovah Rapha is the terminology. Um, and we wanna understand that when God talks about healing, he's talking about healing from a number of categories. So when we think about healing, you can begin to draw categories. Healing of this kind, healing of that kind, healing of another kind, healing of yet another kind. I want you to think about that as we are going to work through this. Because <clears throat> the healing of the physical body cannot be the ultimate aim of the gift of healing that's employed. It has to have a greater and grander and more comprehensive benefit than the healing of the physical body. The healing of the physical body is true. It is a mechanism for an aim, an end. <clears throat> it is something that God does. He does it both in terms of the supernatural and miraculous but he also does it in terms of the sustaining of his natural laws and natural orders in society. Men and women are in the process of healing every day as human beings. This is where we give God praise for sustaining the whole of the universe. We all live, move, and have our what? Our very being in God, you should know that. So the Bible would teach you and I that God upholds us. He sustains us. He keeps us. So there's a real sense in which healing is a broad, comprehensive category that actually constitutes two things. And I'm going to actually make them three because I want you to think this through with me. First, the idea of healing is the idea of wholeness. Wholeness. This is what I want you to capture. Wholeness. And wholeness is actually a destiny. That's what you need to keep in mind too, a destiny or a point of terminus, we might say in theology, or it can also be a goal, an aim or an ends. Wholeness is the goal, aim and ends, the point of terminus for people who come into contact with God. Wholeness is the idea of salvation. And that again is what I want you to capture. When we are dealing with the God of salvation, we are dealing with a God who is taking people who are not whole and making them whole. He's taking people that are in a state of non-wholeness and bringing them into wholeness. That is the whole concept of salvation. So I'll give you a few messianic expressions to lay this foundation down so we can build upon it. Often in the Gospels, you'll find Jesus bringing about the act of iamata, healing. You guys got that? Iamata, healing. And that healing will, will be coupled with a, a pronunciation. And that pronunciation will be this. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Now we're gonna see that Pauline theology around the multiple gifts as they are categorized are gonna really intimate that. So what you and I have seen already is that the first gift is the word of wisdom. 
So that's propositional truth claims that do what? Edify. The second one is the, the word of knowledge, which is yet another uh, propositional uh, uh, truth claim that does what? Inform. So from edifying to informing, we move directly into the category of faith. Remember that? Faith. And we know that faith comes from the word. So we can see a cascading of correlations between the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, and now what? Healing. Now you will see this worked out and embodied in the ministry of Christ, and that's where we're going. That's why I don't want us to be in a real hurry. I want you and I to be able to actually see what's going on here more than just the idea of a hocus pocus, be healed. That's not what the idea of wholeness is about. We need to know it in a much more fuller and comprehensive sense. Yeah, wholeness literally means to be what? Saved. To be saved. You may have to work through that because in our conventional terminology, we see wholeness, and you're going to see this on Sunday, as a medical term. Would you agree with that? A medical term. It is comprehensively medical. So wholeness is a corresponding aim, objective, terminus, destiny, goal, and end for um, healing. This is why we stated also Tuesday that our Friday, that healing is often translated to cure, to heal, and then finally our third category is what? Remedies, remedies, remedies. All right, so when something needs a remedy, it means it's broken, right? It's fractured, it's disrupted, it's, it's lacking coherence, it's, it's in a state of, of uh, disarray, it's not functioning as it ought to. So remedy is also a word that we're going to be pressing into as we take our time this Tuesday and this Friday to deal with the doctrine of healing, the gifts of healing in their multiple form. So wholeness is a destiny. That's the goal of it. This is what your Bible teaches, how Jesus takes the broken and, and heals them. And reach, the next word we're going to deal with is the word restore, restore. So healing is a process of restoration. You guys got that? Do you see it? It's important for you to get. Some of you will get this because now what we're getting into is another word I want you to capture. And that's, that word is process and protocol, process and protocol. So, again, you can see how I am really um, addressing the issue of uh, sort of uh, medical terminology in relationship to that which is diseased and sick and afflicted, right? And as we're talking about healing, we're talking about taking that which is diseased and afflicted and, and sick and wanting it to become whole, right? That's the end game of it. And it's really important for us to, to keep that in mind. And now what I've just inserted really is a restoration principle, which simply is talking about the process, the process or the protocol. Or we could also say the methodology. Is there a method to restoration that brings about wholeness in the idea of healing? And the answer is yes. And that's what I want us to grapple with, too, as we deal with that. Am I making some sense so far? Right. I want you to grapple with that, too, because you'll miss everything about what this idea of salvation is. If you don't understand salvation as an aim of making that which is broken or that which is marred or that which is weak, sick, afflicted, deficient, whole. And you'll miss it if you don't understand that it's not some kind of event that is done by fiat, done by fiat. Here's what we mean by that. Fiat simply means God speaks things into existence. You need to know that F-I-A-T, F-I-A-T, yeah, fiat is a Latin term that is equivalent to um, God speaking ex nihilo. You know, God spoke and it came to pass. Right. So when you hear that proposition, God spoke, that is a subject and a verb. God spoke. And then it came to pass becomes the outcome. It becomes the expression of God spoke. Now, it's really true that everything that is presently in existence, God spoke it into existence. 
But what you are missing in that terse statement is a whole category of process. A whole category of process. Everything about you and me and everything about what's around us presently, in the past, and in the future is almost never merely the product of God speaking. It's the product of God speaking purpose and protocol and methodology and instrumentality and time in order for things to come into being. Did that make some sense? Right. So and, and the reason I'm taking my time with you on this is because we got a whole lot of hocus pocus that goes on in the church that defies history, that defies the testimony of scripture, that defies real experience. Like the notion that you just the Lord healed me. OK, OK, we got that. Yeah, the healing comes from God. I don't care who you are, whether you're saved or not. If you're healed, God is the one that did it ultimately. But what you are failing to do is give God the glory in the how. In the how, because it's inside the how that constitutes a number of critical factors that actually highlights God's relationship with us. So I might ask the question, you know, how um, how did you come into being? And you may go, well, God brought me into being and I'll go, OK, that's the who. That's not the how you want to be honest with me. You didn't just pop into being. There was a lot of processes that brought you to where you are right now. Am I making some sense? Right. So either you're going to lie on God and discount a whole bunch of mechanisms between who he is and what you are and, and fail to give God glory for how he works, which how he works is the way he's glorified. OK, am I making some sense? All right. I mean, like I'm going to I'm going to drill down into this to, and, and make sure we wake up on this so you can benefit from the class. Um, when God spoke about how he created the heavens and the earth in, in the Genesis narrative, he didn't just say he did it. He talked about how he did it. Now, he didn't talk about how he did it comprehensively, but he talked about how he did it sequentially and structurally and orderly. He gave us enough insight into the six day creation narrative to help us understand his glory and the ability for him to organize and arrange and, and put things in order and categorize and, and purpose every day in their 24 hour cycle. There was enough there for us to understand that God is a God of mechanisms and protocol and techniques and means and instrumentality. And that you must always know you keeping up with me. Because what the Lord Jesus never did when he went about his ministry, and remember, I'm telling you that all of the gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, all of the gifts in the area of uh, the manifestation of the spirit, because that's what we're dealing with, right? The manifestation of the spirit. All these were for the manifestation of the spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 7. The manifestation of the spirit occupied in the life of Jesus made it to where the ministry of Jesus was what we call the messianic age, where no one was doing what Jesus was doing. What Jesus was doing affirmed the fact that he was the son of God. Would you agree? Now, here's the question. <clears throat> what was he doing? Because you can say he was doing something, but if you're not paying very careful attention to what he was doing, here's what you will fail to miss. How he did it. And how he did it was intriguing and complex enough and 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 uh, and purposeful enough for us to pay attention. How does God work to bring about healing in people's lives? So we're going to be dealing with that. Also, as I stated to you um, a, a little bit ago, you and I can uh, talk about multiple categories of the healing more than just in the physical sense. Would you agree with that? So we could easily talk about healing of the mind, healing of the heart, healing of the emotions. We agree with that. Healing of the relationships, right? Relationships, because they are all critical as well. And I could develop a list with a number of minor but necessary categories around healing. Would you agree with that? All right. So I might be fairly well off in terms of God's 
providential maintenance of my physical body. But what if I'm jacked up in my head? Do I need healing of the mind? Right. And I might even be really um, grounded in my capacity to think things through and reason and logic. I might be a great critical thinker. I might also feel pretty good and sound about my ability to discern and to make right choices. But what if I am emotionally compromised? Would I need healing in my emotions? Of course I would. Of course I would. Of course I would. And if you listen carefully to your Bible, the Bible will categorize these things. And you and I want them categorized. We don't ever want to overgeneralize what God is up to because that's where you fail to miss him. So this is what we would call application, a point of application. Where is the healing taking place? How is it taking place? What are some of the methods that God is using to bring about that healing? Does that make some sense? All right, good, because... Um, I just want to make sure not you and I understand this. So when we talk about how God might be pleased to use that gift in our life, we want to be able to not, not only know that it is a uh, functional gift, but how and, and in what way does that gift function? So the first thing I want to do is remind you that in the Old Testament, the first time that healing took place, if you guys recall, if you're really solid students, was in the... Genesis 20 account, verses 7 and following, with the uh, king uh, Abimelech in relationship to um, Abraham and Sarah. Do you guys remember that? And what I highlighted in that was several things. Healing is not reserved to the elect people of God. God heals anyone, anytime, anywhere. God is never bound in his 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 exhibition of his character and nature to just his people. And frequently, God will do things for people that are not his people in order to prepare them for himself. If you guys remember, I had a category up here on the board, signs, salvation, and then what? Sanctification. Signs often lead to salvation. All right, so I wanna continue drilling down into that. So keep that verse up there. Thank you. Listen carefully to me. You don't ever have to ask the question, when you have a loved one or a friend or a coworker or anyone that would ask you to pray for them that God might heal them, you don't ever have to ask the question, are you, are they saved? Right. I mean, that's a secondary question, but it doesn't matter with regards to that person being a child of the living God at the Imago Dei level created in his image and still in need of God in spite of being utterly blind and utterly detached from God at the spiritual sense. Am I making some sense? Also, also at that level, it's important to know that if this uh, if this axiom is true, often God will do something for you that will lead you to him in salvation, then certainly we want to be able to be used to that end. All right. So we're not bigots. We're not self-righteous. We don't establish. We're not gatekeepers. We don't tell people that unless you receive Jesus into your life, you can't be healed. That would be utterly foolish. Because that would predicate that the only time a person can be healed is if they acknowledge the crown rights of Jesus. And that would take your children out of the equation. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Right. It's extremely important for you and I to make sure we understand this. So now I want you to mark the mechanism here. I want you to mark the mechanism here. Now, the uh, what's his name? Uh, God tells Abimelech to make sure that he follow this protocol. Now, therefore, restore the man to his wife, for he is a what? He's a prophet. And if you restore the man to his wife, you will be healed. Is that what it says? What does it say? And he shall pray for you. We see two protocols as requisite to his healing already, don't we? The first one is obedience. The first one is obedience, right? Give the man his wife back. Let's correct the potential error that's going on here, right? This is for God's glory. This is not for Abimelech. This is for God's glory. Give the man his wife back. Secondly, he's a prophet and therefore he shall do what? That's called instrumentality. 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 What does that mean, Pastor? We talked about this on Sunday. I'm going to pick it up again this Sunday. The purpose for which God told Moses to tell the children of Israel 
to look on him when Moses speaks to the rock was for the people of God to know that the source of the water that nourishes their soul came from God and not from Moses. Do you guys remember that? So instrumentality uh, versus source is critical in often explaining what God is up to. Sometimes God is going to exalt the source. I mean, exalt the means. He will exalt the instrument. That's obviously a messianic trait. Christ is the mediator, is he not? So every mechanism of instrumentality that God uses to bring things into existence or recovers things or heal things really is summed up in the person of Jesus. We're not going to get too general with it, but it's true, is it not? Without him, we can what? Do nothing. So if God uses you or me or any of us anytime we are an instrument, God's the source. Sometimes he will exalt that instrument. There's a reason for it. But the instrument must never exalt itself. And the instrument must always know that the source is really the cause. But now if you are an instrument by which God would use you to heal somebody in any of the categories we're talking about, in any of the categories, you know what that presupposes? Your obedience to God. An instrument is obedient. Does that make sense? You and our instruments, meaning we are available to God to be used by God for God to do whatever he wants to in the area of whatever he wants to do. And so here it is. Now, therefore, restore the man to his wife, for he is a prophet and he shall pray for you and you shall what? Is that not messianic? Of course it is. Of course it is. Christ prays for us, does he not? Does he not mediate for all his people? And do we not, because of his mediatorial work, live? Again, you guys will hear it on Sunday. We're going to be dealing with the serpent on the pole. Instrumentality once again. And of course, that's a deep metaphor for physical healing. Because they're dying of snake bites. So we're, we're going deeply into that on Sunday. So um, this is a perfect example of it. We walk through a bunch of passages in the Old Testament. Now I want to jump into the New and just run through a litany of passages around what Jesus is doing. Remember, the New Testament is the Messianic era. Messiah, of whom the Old Testament spoke, has come. We expect, therefore, Messiah to be doing things that nobody else has done, right? Because God is with him at that level. So, all right, in your Bible, let's begin to look. Matthew chapter 8, verse 8 will be one. I'm going to run through about five or six as we did last time, and I want you to just be sensitive to the passages. Matthew 8, verse 8. Are we there? Notice what it says. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be what? So now notice there's a couple, two or three categories here that's really important. One is there's a need, right? Somebody needs to be healed. It happens to be the servant of this ruler, right? Secondly, Jesus is present. So we have the personification of the mediation, do we not? Right, this, these are very important points to highlight. Because in your pagan world and in your pseudo-Christian world, when Jesus is reduced are diminished or removed, we have a fallacy, a mechanism, don't we? Jesus is present. That's the only way this healing is going to take place if it's going to happen. So watch what took place here in terms of what I stated. Restoration to wholeness is a process of protocols and methodology. And I'm going to show you how faith is connected to healing at the level of the word being proclaimed, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, and then healing. This is why Paul knows what he's talking about. So notice uh, and the way our verse opens up, it means there was a conversation going on before verse 8 when it says the centurion answered and said, Lord. So there's a dialogue between the centurion and, and the Lord. Is that not right? It's a beautiful thing. Go back a verse or two. Go back to verse six. If you will, I want to see if I can walk us into it before we move away, because I want you to capture it. This is a centurion that's really struggling. He's saying, Lord, my servant lay it at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Maybe on Friday, I'll get into some of the cases because the cases are important, too. OK, sick of the pulses, uh, palsy grievously tormented. So now remember, I talked to you about briefly that there could be many categories around the area of healing being needed of the mind, of the heart, of the emotions, of the relationship, of the physical. In this one, we should see at least two categories. 
we should see at least two categories. Am I making some sense? Two categories of brokenness that may need to be fused together, but there are certainly two categories, are they not? Listen to what he says. Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, physical, grievously tormented, psychological and spiritual. Three categories. Three categories. Now, if Jesus heals him, and he heals him in the soter sense, in the sense that he is made what? He's made whole. Is not faith a mechanism in this process? Right, because it's coming from the one that's requesting for him. The centurion is exercising faith, is he not? And, and therefore, the mechanism for healing, as you'll see frequently, is someone believes that the mediator has the capacity to do it. I will place that burden on you. I will place that on you as a child of God. I will place on the people of God the burden of believing God for healing anyone if that's your assignment. Did that make some sense? All right, so I'm going to do another one. I want to show you what I mean by this. So the centurion is not just whimsically, whimsically wishing that his servant would be healed. That would be utterly in vain, would it not? He's not whimsically saying, oh, you know, universe. Because you know today the universe is being acknowledged for everything. The centurion is focusing on the person of Jesus, which means he has already heard the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, has he not? Right? The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge is predicating faith. It's predicating faith. Faith comes by what? That's right. The word of wisdom, word of knowledge has come to this centurion. Would you call him a man that's begotten of the word of wisdom? He knows how to go to Jesus. Would you call him a man who has been gotten, begotten of the word of knowledge? He knows that Jesus is able to heal. See what I'm getting at? It's important for you to know these things, shout of God, because these are the these are the ancillary and accompaniments around Messiah in his ministry. OK, so here's another thing I want to say about it while I'm doing this. Remember what I shared with you in First Corinthians 12, around verse six through eight, when I talked about the three persons and their administrations, I talked about uh, the, the Lord, the, the spirit of the Lord, having the administration of giving gifts. And then I talked about the Lord Jesus having the administration of giving assignments, assignments. You remember that diakonos to give you an assignment. You go here, you go there, you speak to this one, you minister to that one. Y'all keeping up with me. And then I said that God, the father is the one that bestows what the power. He's the operational CEO. And that's really important for you to get because the relationship of the three persons starts at the top. The top pours into, father pours into the son, the son pours into the third person, the third person pours into the earthly instrument that is going to be submissive to God working. Am I making some sense? Right. So here we have this working out just as, as that case may have it. This individual is in need of the Lord and the Lord is going to respond to him. Verse seven. Now we're getting into mechanisms. We're dealing with instrumentality. We're going to get into mechanism. And Jesus said unto the centurion, I will come and what? Beautiful. You know what we call that? A passionate prayer of faith being answered. This is James chapter five, verse 16 and 17. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and raise them up. Yes, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man does what? Avail much. Is that what's indicated here? And I will come and heal him. Every one of us wants an answer to prayer like that. So, so I'm being very careful about the subject of healing so that you're not skating all over the ice of mere human opinion and, and whimsicalness because it is very structured here. That centurion knew that Jesus had the ability to heal, which also meant that centurion believed in Jesus. And therefore, the centurion appealed to Christ for his servant, which tells me he loved his servant. Right. I mean, you have someone in affliction, someone that's troubled, someone that's diseased, someone that's afflicted, and you're not praying for them. Your love is minimal. 
Did you hear what I just stated? Why would you expect them to be healed through you if you're not praying to God for them? See what I'm getting at? Very important here. So, and what I love about Christ is Christ, Christ is ready to avail him. That's what he came for. Jesus is only doing what his father sent him to do. Like this is not uh, an inconvenience for the Savior. Do you do know that, right? The son of came, the son of man came that they might be saved, right? He came that he might save the sick and heal the blind and raise the dead. All of that was messianic intentionality on the part of the father for the son. I love this. Verse eight now. Now, this is where we are brought to our text. And the centurion answered, said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Huge. Because I'm going back now to the gift of faith expressed. Remember, I told you that we all who are believers have faith, but what a radical expression of faith that is. Did y'all get what I just stated? His, the level of his faith was such that Jesus did not have to come to his house. We don't always have that level of faith, do we? We don't always have that level of, now it would have been a great honor for Jesus to come. But what this servant was doing was saying, Lord, you can go to the left. Just send your word to the right. Which means he has a broader view of the omniscience of Christ at the level of his word. Christ does not have to be confined by his physical body and therefore meet him in that proximal closeness, which often is what people want to negotiate with Jesus or with God about. I need you to do it this way. No, I just need God to do it. Right. And so what I'm highlighting is the character of this brother's faith. And these are things that you and I must keep in mind. And my servant shall be healed. And did not Jesus do exactly what the man asked? And didn't Christ do what he always does? Wherever there is faith in Messiah, Christ will exalt that faith. He's going to let everybody know. I have not seen so great a faith as this anywhere among the Jewish people. All right, that's the first example, and there could be many more. I'm going to run through a few more, and I just wanted to drill down. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, Matthew 8, 13. Let's see if I, and Jesus said unto the centurion, go your way, and as you have what? There it is, so be it unto you. And his servant was healed in the self, same what? So that the, the healing was in correlation to faith. And the faith was in correlation to a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom about the sufficiency of Christ, right? Those mechanisms are falling out right in the same order and sequence of the gifts that Paul is talking about. Here's another one. Chapter 13, verse 15. I'm going to run through about five or six because I want us to get it. This is um, this is um, this is what we picked up on last Friday. And this is this is going to simply appeal to three things in this verse. Three things It's going to appeal to the fact that God heals. It's going to also appeal to the fact that he does not always render healing. And then it's going to appeal to the fact that the people who are not going to benefit from this healing will have themselves not have the same requisite that the uh, centurion servant had, which is what? Faith. And as a consequence, notice what the text says. For this people's heart is wax gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed, lest at any time... They should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart. Look at all three of those categories. Hearing, seeing, and passionately believing. Well, I should say convictingly believing, okay? Hearing, seeing, and convictingly believing and therefore comprehending. Notice, and should understand with their heart and should be converted, turned unto God, and I should what? Heal them. Now, the only thing I want you to do right there is understand what I said in the first part of our opening study. Don't ever be trapped by monoconceptual uh, or what, what is called in theology the fallacy of a one definition term. And that is to say a word can be univocal in its definition, meaning it can just mean one thing and only one thing in many cases. But often a word can be used in various applications, understood many different ways. This is called a univocal uh, interpretation of the word. So healing is not just physical healing. Certainly in this verse is not talking about the physical healing because it's talking about a whole nation. Is it not? So when it's talking about that whole nation, we got a list of categories we got to be thinking about. The mind of that nation, the heart of that nation, the relationship of that nation, 
the emotional disposition of that nation because they were jacked up, weren't they? And maybe, but not necessarily the physicality of that nation. The emphasis here is not the physical. The emphasis here is the spiritual. And it's not singular, it's collective, is it not? So I want you to keep in mind this one too. So when we're talking about healing in terms of the messianic concept, it can be the healing of a whole group of people at one time. You need to keep that as a list because if you're praying, you want to have a broad conceptual understanding of the possibility that you might be the instrument of a whole family being healed. See why you got to study deeply? Because you can miss all that. You can miss every bit of that. And you and I can be the instrument of what if God lays on you a family and, and it just does not go away and you can easily pray for them. And you may not even know what their brokenness is at all of the levels in which we talked about. And there are more. But I'm just saying, if you, you know, if we know that we're dealing with depression, if we're dealing with anxiety, if we're dealing with addiction, if we're dealing with, you know, anger, if we're dealing with frustration, if we're dealing with a loss of, of work, if we're dealing with oppression, I mean, the list can go on and on and on. Broken people are victims, are they not? Right. And so what if God is using you to be the point person for a restoration process and wholeness? See what I'm getting at? You want to be able to have the comprehensive awareness that that might be the case. God keeps laying this family on my heart. He keeps laying this family on my heart. And I know they're going through trouble. So I'm going to start praying. Maybe all God wants me to do is lift them up in prayer. Isn't that what we do every Tuesday this time in about like 20 minutes from now? Right. And it's, and it's, it's no wonder to me that the vast majority of human beings are sick and afflicted like all kind of impotent people at the, you know, at the pool Bethesda when there is no one burden for those people. No wonder folks are afflicted ever. No wonder we got relatives all over, shot through with all kinds of maladies. We're not burdened for them because we're, we're, we're hyper-narcissistically selfish about ourselves. Now, I would say that if you're well off, guess what? Somebody prayed for you. You know how you like, you know, you, 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 you go, I, I know people praying for me. I know people praying. You're all happy about that. People praying for me. Now, who are you praying for? It would be cool if we're all praying for one another, right? No, it would be more than cool. It would be obedience. Didn't he say pray for one another? That's, that's James 5. That you may be healed. That's what he said. Right, right. So, so, so powerful. All right. So another one, uh, chapter 17, Matthew 17, 14, Matthew 17, 14. I'm just going to take you guys through a few. And when they were come to the multitude, that's the disciples. And there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, so mark the posture, kneeling down and saying, this is a form of prayer. Okay. Kneeling down and saying, verse 15, let's keep it going. Lord, have mercy on my what? There it is. This is a relationship dynamic, isn't it? This is about relationship. This is about relationship. And the father is going to who? The Lord. And he's going to him humbly. He's on his knee. He's desperate, is he not? Notice what he said. My son, for he's a lunatic. He didn't lost his mind. Literally. That's the Greek term lunar. And it, it means the moon because moon phases really do have a lot to do with our emotional makeup, whether you like it or not. You are so much a part of the earth. Yeah. So when you read Genesis 2, 7, you were like, what's that all about? God created man out of the dust of the ground. He is so tied into the physiology of this world and necessarily so. God meant for our sustained providential healing to be a consequence of our interaction with the earth. Somebody bear witness with what I'm saying, right? And one of the reasons we're not as whole today is because we're removed from the earth. Also, the earth is toxic, so we got to pray for it because it should be a mechanism of healing for us. But because of our sin, the earth is toxic. See what I'm getting at? Right. So, you know, you and I may uh, have the real privilege of being around a few people that are 
relatively whole and healthy. And that, that needs to be talked about. I'm praying that we all get that, particularly where we are, because we live in a very paradoxical world in this sense. We live in a world on the one hand where there is high chemical contamination everywhere. But at the same time, we live in a world where there has never been as much accessibility to resources as there has been uh, from the beginning of the world. Do you understand what I mean by that? This is the tension of technological advancement. And by the way, you know, um, uh, economics, business and economia is what God uses, business. And so we have the ability in the protocol sense to engage in healing, don't we? We have the ability in the protocol sense and we should not neglect that because what if God is 99% of the time using means, protocols, methodologies, instrumentalities for healing? We want to be sensible to that, do we not? If God is using means to get things done, then I have to expect that he's going to call me to those means. And I'm not going to always be able to say, Lord, you just do it. Because like 99% of the time, he doesn't just do it. All right, so look at this. The text tells us, and so he was sore vexed because he was a lunatic, for oft times he falleth into the fire, and oft time he falleth into the what? And notice what the next verse says. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not what? That's our word, cure. There it is. Healed. Ayamata. Actually, literally, Iamata in the Greek. He could not be cured. He could not be cured. Now, obviously, this man has done as the woman with the issue of blood. They have taken him to doctors all over the place, and the doctors actually could not properly diagnose him. Because the matter was deeper than his physiology. He's a lunatic. It's a mind thing. He is disoriented in his mind. Y'all keeping up with me? So you and I will misdiagnose people, but God never misdiagnoses. And so it's right to get the diagnosis right because you can't help people if you misdiagnose. And you can't be helped if you're misdiagnosing yourself as well. It's really important. So, and I brought him to your disciples. They could not cure him. And that's okay because the disciples are what we would call secondary instruments. They are not primary instruments. You and I are secondary instruments. You know what that means? We are liable to failure. All kind of variables can make it that if you and I attempt to be a vehicle or a means by which God is going to bring about restoration or wholeness in somebody's life, it might be aborted just because of some defect in me. Is that true? Sure, this is what's going on here. Please, the disciples just came off the mountaintop with Jesus and saw him in his glory. You'd have, think so, you'd have thought some of that glory would have wore off on those brothers. They'd have been able to go right down the hill and heal thousands of people in Jesus' name. But Jesus is getting ready to explain it. Listen to what he says over in verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Do you guys see that? So now Jesus is a great, great representation of God the Father here because Jesus will reprove us at times when we will go, huh, why is he upbraiding us? He's upbraiding us the same way the Father upbraided the children of Israel over and over and over and over again for God having done gracious words in their life and them still questioning him right so jesus is upbraiding everybody here we know the text broadly in the synoptic gospel he's not only upbraiding the people that were watching who saw the failure but he's upbraiding his disciples as well y'all got that because that's the way the narrative is going to flow out but here they are asking for healing verse 18 notice what it says and jesus rebuked what Okay, so we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time here. We can do that on Friday. The correlation between the mind and the heart, maybe even the spirit and spiritual warfare. We can talk about that on Friday, okay? Because the implications are here, are they not? The, are the implications here? Right. I mean, why is he, you know, why is he talking about the devil when we're saying the boy is a lunatic? Well, that's because the devil has gripped him at his mind, right? And he has gripped him at his mind to the degree that he has, um, he has 
thrown the boy into extremes of suicidation. He wants to go into the water and he wants to go into the fire. Did that make some sense? Right. And this is not a small thing. This is not a joke. So notice what it says. And Jesus rebuked the devil. He departed out of him and the child was cured. There's our word from that very hour. I love this. You see instrumentality again, right? What I love about this account is you see instrumentality fail and then instrumentality work, right? Secondary instruments, you given to fallacy. The infallible primary instrumentation, Jesus, Jesus never fails. Once again, once again, the prayers of that man is answered because he's going to Jesus. So, okay, a little bit of instruction here and then we'll shut it down. Look at verse 19. I'm going to walk this through just a little bit and we'll keep going. Much to be said. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out? Do you see that? Again, we'll drill it down into that a little bit more on Friday. But great, they're acknowledging their failure, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And their failure wasn't a consequence of uh, malfeasance, as is the case in our system, in our world right now, where the third leading cause of death is medical malfeasance. So, I am not accusing the disciples of that, because they're not actually engaging in manipulation or distortion of data or the uh, impartation of drugs with a kind of a Russian roulette mechanism. Well, it might work, but it might also kill them. Because that's what you got going on in our in our medical industry today. They are not disciples. They are not even at the earthly level. I'm going to be teaching this on Sunday. They are not even noblemen at the Asclepius level. Who is Asclepius? He was the healer of the Greek gods from which we get the serpent on the pole, which is the symbol for healing in our medical industry. Y'all do know that, right? Now you know. Now, you know that our medical industry, which used to be deeply attached to spirituality in the early centuries of, of the ministry of the gospel, recognized that healing comes from the crucified Christ. Asclepius was one of the Greek gods that took on that motif, a deep, rich history around that as well. We'll talk about that on, on Sunday because we're going to be dealing with a snake that actually heals you. Okay, and so and, and, and yes, that paradigm is there. It's there. Believe you me. Then came the disciples apart, said we couldn't. Verse nine, uh, verse 20. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. Ah, there it is. For verily I say unto you, if you have what? As a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible to you. Humbling humbling right because now here again is unbelief impeding faith being an access to in this particular account the uh, protocol and process and methodology of helping cure that boy that's how Jesus uh, admonished him and we know that Jesus's admonishment of them was in love and in truth how do we know that because the very same scenarios are coming up in the gospel in the book of Acts and they're getting the job done correctly in the book of Acts demons and people they're getting them out real easy all right and then he gives one more word here around methodology and I think I'll use this because it's important for you to know notice what he says howbeit this kind does not go out but by what prayer and fasting so often in a method of process and protocol when it comes to healing healing is going to come through a restoration process is going to come through a process. Wholeness is the end game. To be saved and made whole is the end game. So let's say you and I are going to stop here. So let's say you and I are in an affliction, whatever that might be. It might be physical. It might be psychological. It might be spiritual. It might be emotional. It might be relational. Most of the time, healing is going to be a process. You're virtually no healing that you and I go through is instantaneous. Does that make some sense? Very much so. Very much so. In the same sense, in the ultimate paradigm, salvation is a process. 
And therefore, healing is something that is sequential. It is progressive. It is developmental and then ultimately consummate. You and I are saved in the person of Christ through justification. Then we are brought into the salvation experientially, experientially of sanctification. And that's a lifelong journey of ups and downs and brokenness and mendings and healings and strengthenings, which includes all of the mechanisms of healing, right? All of the steroidous concepts that the Bible talks about. Steroids is a Greek term, the strengthening mechanisms, which often on an organic level come through food. Am I telling the truth, sis? And then, and then all of the beautiful herbs and things like that, the right herbs, right? The right, right herbs, right? The right herbs for healing. And so the food and the herbs are all biblical metaphors for the nature of the word of God, bringing healing to our life, right? Through food and through water. You can't get away from that element. One of the, so one of the reasons why we were having so many uh, illnesses and sicknesses that are fatal in the early centuries of America and Europe was because we didn't understand the principle of hygienics. Hygiene was critical. And, and that's the word for salvation too. It's the word for soundness. Hygiano is the Greek term for soundness. When the Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a whole sound mind. That's hygiano. That's hygiene. Hygiene. It means that we are, we are cleansed and we are sanctified and our mind is purified and we can think God's thoughts after him. Now that's what the word of God is designed to do for us. Bring about soundness. Soundness, again, is another metaphor. Your faith has made you sound. Does that make some sense? Yeah, that's what the word means. So when we're not sound, we're not complete. When we are sound, we are complete. We're functioning on all cylinders. We're functioning at a fundamental level of competency. It's not impeccable. But like, you know, you go to the doctor. I'm going to milk this out and we're done here. And, and, you know, the doctor gives you a report. And you're very glad when you go away and the doctor says, I'm giving you a bill of what? See the metaphor? See, this is why none of them, none of these structures or systems will be without guilt on the final day. Because they're all doing gospel work as well. The medical industry is deeply into the gospel at the level of linguistics and at the level of the physical world and organic structures and molecular structures. Are they not? Are they not deeply involved in the instrumentality of healing people, which God is allowing them to do, but they won't give him glory? Feel what I'm getting at? And yet they're still working mechanistically. So we will go to unsaved doctors. I'm, I'm much rather a good, unsaved doctor than a raggedy Christian doctor. All right, we're going to take a break.